You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The guys have been close a lot of times. They, they really wanted to go out with a win this year. Uh, and, it, you know, it's they battled through a lot, just like a lot of people have and a lot of teams have around the country. And one thing I say is that the character of this team never quitting and continuing to fight and battle. Uh, they, they fought through some hard things, some of them self-inflicted and, and others that they couldn't control. Uh, but they stuck together as a team and really good to go out on a win. It's been a long year, and I think one way or the other, we're happy with the way that we played tonight. We'll just have to see where things go. I'm not sure if this is the last game of the season or not. Well, welcome here to the this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, later on we'll be joined by Nate Klaus as we're bringing you into the Christmas weekend here as uh, we know Nebraska won't have another game. There was a chance they could have played a game Saturday in Phoenix, maybe December 30th. But it was a uh, team vote that happened. You know, the team Robin got in at 3.30 in the morning on Saturday. They had a meeting at 12.30. Um, so nine hours after they landed with very little rest and sleep after a very long trip out to Rutgers. And uh, the team ultimately decided let's end the year at 3-5. and five. Let's not play another game. Let's be real. We know it was a split vote. Um, I, I think the defensive guys wanted to play another bowl game. I think there were some guys on this team that were pretty hurt by the decision, but there were enough strong, influential voices, I think, particularly on that offensive side of the ball. And you can probably guess who uh, that just thought, you know what, we're not going to play another game. And and here we are um, sitting another season without a bowl game for Nebraska. Yeah, so on one hand, for me, it's hard to be overly critical of the players that decided they didn't want to play, just given what this season is. The fact that some guys, you know, had been on campus since March and had been practicing or working out since June uh, and had the, you know, the, the, the Apple put in front of them and then taken away so many times with the, the start of the season, the rescheduling and all that stuff. And they had to stay ready throughout just in case, not knowing what the future was going to hold. And then the daily COVID testing that went in and all the precautions they had to take where essentially you have zero social life and uh, have to live in a, in a tiny bubble uh, just to make it through week to week to be able to play in a game. And so it was a physical grind playing, uh, you know, eight games in uh, nine weeks or whatever it was. Uh, but it was also a mental challenge, I think, for these guys as well. So that part of it, like, I, I get it to an extent. That being said, it is extremely disappointing that, you know, this is a team where players literally tried to sue the Big Ten in order to play football. Took them to a courtroom. Yeah, and, you know, we're as vocal as any team in the country about wanting to play a fall football season and you know you get the the opportunity to play one more game and try to put together two straight weeks of winning football for the first time in over two years uh and you chose not to and i get it there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that are never present in a normal offseason or any part of this discussion but in the end you know nebraska had the opportunity to continue playing and try to get better and continue that momentum that they've lacked so desperately a uh, bowl game or not uh, and they chose not to and you know for fans i know that was a real tough pill to swallow well and scott frosh to take some criticism for this i mean i think he misread the situation he wanted to do kind of do the cool 2020 diplomatic thing let the players have a voice but i think he assumed everybody was going to vote to play a bowl game i i don't think scott frost knew that his team would not want to play but you know what we what I know is the Minnesota game losing that just destroyed the psyche of this team especially mm -hmm. 
after the win at Purdue. I think if Nebraska beats Minnesota, and I mean, let's just say that Rutgers game is played in Lincoln. You're you're well rested on Saturday. You come in with a different feel for the vote. Let's say that game's played at three in the afternoon. You don't get back at three in the morning then, mm-hmm. um, like it was supposed to be played. You get back at about eleven thirty at night, uh, maybe twelve. Who knows? But um, I I think it it with the timing of everything. It was cold. It was an empty stadium. It was a late game. I mean, it was a seven thirty Eastern kick, mm-hmm. and then you get back at three in the morning, three thirty in the morning, and then turn everybody around to come in after a long, cold night in New Jersey, it was tough. And I, I think the other thing I, I question is, why did just the two deep have a vote in this? I, I think when you have a culture that you want everybody to have a voice, you know, the walk-on guy that goes to practice every day that wanted to maybe go on a bowl trip, he should have a voice in that too. So if you really truly did a vote of the full 150, would it have been that way? But can you really do a bowl game if an entire position group is out. And I think the offensive line was out. I, I don't think the offensive line, um, you know, was going to want to play a bowl game. And if you don't have an offensive line that's available, how do you play a bowl game? Well, and, you know, that being said, too, uh, if you have a portion of your team that's already checked out, you know, what are you setting yourself up for if you turn around and play a bowl game in another week or two weeks? I mean, uh, you might have risk losing all that momentum you gained uh, and positivity you gained in the Rutgers game. What if they go to the, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl and get housed by, by Wake Forest? Yeah, by 28 well, or something like that. Like Wisconsin got the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, so Nebraska was going to have to go to Phoenix, and it was supposed to be a Big 12 opponent, and that was going to be on the 26th. And I think that was going to be a problem because yeah. here's what they told the players. They're like, all right, we anticipate a later game, like the 30th maybe. So you will get four days off. And guys, some guys thought that that meant they could go home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, we can go home before? And they're like, no, you're still in the protocol. <laughs> no kidding. Um, you can't go home. Yeah, and the, Frost was upfront about that. He thought that that would probably play a part in the decision. Adrian Martinez said the same thing where, you know, I do think that the quick turnaround of that bowl, if they would have had another week, uh, that may have changed things a little bit. But, again, if you're not your team, if you're – the entire team is not 100% locked in on playing another game. You know, there's a there's a risk there of, you know, having that that bowl game go completely the opposite of what you want. You're listening here to the Husker online show. On the bright side, I mean, we finally saw glimpses of, you know, what we thought this season could be for Nebraska on offense, and then we saw reasons as well why this team was 3 and 5 with yeah. Um, you know, that game was a microcosm of the year in a lot of respects. The defense has played well. They've played solid. Special teams um, have have been a, a disaster um, at times. And, you know, when you look at Rutgers, they ran a kickback. They got, I think, two or three to about the 50 in that game. And that made the offense's job a lot harder because the offense then had to get the ball inside the 10-yard line, which led to three 90-yard drives. Mm-hmm. Everything was just harder for Nebraska to win that game, and it should not have been that hard. And that's kind of been the three years of Scott Frost. Like things that should be easy have been hard, and that's why Nebraska is kind of stuck in this three, four, five win purgatory they've been in the last three years. Yeah, they can't stay out of their own way. And whether it's turnovers or penalties or uh, blown assignments or whatever it may be, uh, Nebraska's inability to play clean football is the hallmark of the past three seasons. And uh, it seems like every year, you know, Frost and the coaches and the players all talk about needing to, to fix the fixable mistakes and it has not happened whatsoever uh, where they should have won that game by three touchdowns at least. And yet they had to 
convert some some key third downs in the fourth quarter to to close that thing out. And so, I mean, that just shows just the disadvantage Nebraska continuously puts itself in by being its own worst enemy. When you play sloppy, careless football, you will never take the or get over the hump that you're in right now. And until that that changes, Nebraska will continue to be what it has been the past three or four years. Yeah, and then now lots of questions about what guys are coming back, who's staying um, for 2021, and we're going to give our thoughts on that. I mean, that that's a big piece now to next year, who's staying, who's leaving of that senior class, uh, because if they can get some of these guys back, Robin, it's going to make a difference and, and probably change your expectation level, particularly on the defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's some guys that are would played actually really, really good football, maybe the best seasons of their career, that have the opportunity to come back and build upon that. And you look ahead to just personal reasons. I mean, they, they have an opportunity to really raise their profile if they're able to replicate that next year. All right, well, when we come back, we are going to discuss our thoughts on seniors and maybe who's staying, who's going. Uh, we'll give you our, our thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. At the moment, I haven't really thought about it. I was just worried about this game. So, I mean, that's what I just focus on. So, after this, we'll see what's next. Uh, Y'all probably see something in a few days, maybe another week or so. So, that's all I got, you know. Thank you. Thank you. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Thank you, Dedrick Mills, uh, as he had a – one of his better games of his career against Rutgers, Robin, in this segment of the Husker Online Show, brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into Tanner's. I was told uh, for the Rutgers game, they had a, they had their best night since the pandemic. It was um, a good crowd in there. Uh, they enjoyed the Nebraska game, uh, Husker basketball, bowl game season, NFL season wrapping up. So get on into Tanner Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. It is the nicest sports bar in town. Best food, cold beer, plenty of socially distanced seating, play Kino. You can do it all inside Tanner's. So uh, get on into our great sponsor Tanner's and um, watch some of the football action, Robin. But a lot of questions now about who's come, who's staying, who's going. And let's start right, right away with Dedrick Mills. I think when you look at quote priority free agents, he might be the one because when you look at the running backs coming back right now, Marvin Scott, Sevion Morrison, Ramir Johnson, Ronald Tompkins, Cooper Jewett. I mean, you, you just don't have Anybody that you're like, I'm ready to hand the torch off to this guy. No, not at all. And there's potential there. I mean, obviously you got a couple four-star players in there, but uh, they did nothing in their limited opportunities this year. And, you know, injuries certainly played a part in that uh, to show that they're ready to take that mantle as Nebraska's feature running back. And so, yeah, Dedrick Mills is, he's the big ticket guy uh, on either side of the ball especially if Nebraska you know, chooses to try to maybe embrace more of the, the power running game that we saw in that Rutgers game. There's not a back in, the, in, in that room that does what Dedrick Mills does and has proven uh, to play at that type of level. And it just kind of makes you kind of hit your head against the wall. Is, and I know Dedrick was dinged up for a while, but why did it take until the last game of the year to use him the way that they did? I mean, it just shows that he's one of those players that gets better and better as the game goes along, but he never got the workload that allowed him to to get to that point until, you know, basically the season was over. That game reminded me of the Mike Riley Foster exactly. Farms Bowl where we had these exact same discussions. Everyone's like, This is the new offense. Power football. Ray ran the ball like sixty times at UCLA. Yeah. And they get Tanner Lee to throw sixty oh, times. Oh, Tommy. Tommy, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I I give it maybe like a 35% chance he returns. 
I mean, you can certainly see uh, elements to that um, because of the way that he ended this past year. Uh, I think he's got the opportunity. You know, if we thought he had it this year to be a thousand yard back and uh, really put himself in you know the, the all conference uh, radar uh, going into next year, but. He's also an older guy that, you know, with running backs, especially your window is probably as short as any position in the game. And, you know, if he's going to do it, maybe he felt that now's the time, especially getting that game on film that he'd been lacking all year. Uh, He got his highlight, you know, uh, Mel Kuyper draft cut up where, you know, you compare that with the last five games of of last season. And, you know, maybe there's part of him that, you know, given this stage in his career, He's ready to, to go see what the next level uh, awaits for him. And if he can get to like one of those relatively high-profile all-star games, I think that's going to be a no-brainer for him. But you know, I also think there is going to be a lure to come back next year and finally have the season we all thought he was capable of having this year. I think when you look at realistic guys to return, here, here are my I, – I guess I have four right now, maybe five, five at this point. Will Honus at linebacker, I think he is one that – you know, they, they would really benefit. I think Ben Stilley as well. I think as a defensive lineman, those are two on defense I look at. Maybe Markel Desmuke, or I'm sorry, maybe Deontay Williams. I, I, I've heard rumblings on his name returning. And then on offense, both walk-ons, but I'd expect them to get scholarships, Levi Falk and Connor Culp. I mean, I, I think if you're being realistic, five or six is probably the most that you're going to get back. Yeah, and if you take on too many, then that kind of throws off everything where – I guess we'll see what the NCAA does with scholarship limits and all that, but just balancing classes and, um, you know, promises made to players, you know, incoming freshmen and redshirt freshmen. I mean, that, that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit, but certainly, I mean, the guys you mentioned, all three of them would be pretty critical returners, uh, especially, uh, you know, Stilly who played his best season as a Husker and, you know, Will Honus who went, that was unfortunate he went down with that injury um, because he's he was playing as well as any linebacker on the team. And then in the secondary, with Deontay Williams coming back, safety was going to be a real question uh, because if he and Markel Desmuke were to leave, Nebraska would be left with some severe inexperience and in youth in the back end of that defense where Miles Farmer, who's coming off a relatively significant injury, would be your most known commodity. And then after that, what, Noah Pola Gates, Isaac Gifford. So uh, Braxton uh, Clark was going to play a lot this year till he got hurt. Sure, yeah. And then, you know, with DiCaprio Buda likely moving on as well, I mean, that secondary was going to get very young very quickly. Uh, and then also, you know, who knows what Camp Taylor Britt's going to do. I know there were some discussions about, you know, him maybe looking uh, at the I think t- you get one more year out of him and he's gone. Yeah. I, I don't think he'll do a fifth year in college, even though he'll get five years. But I think he just got his name on the map where one more year of that, he could be, you know, a first team all big 10 guy next year. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, he already was starting to get some accolades and uh, with the way that, you know, he played at the end of the year. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a commodity now that is going to be in that conversation from the start of the year next year. So I think he should come back, but you know, getting, Deontay Williams, I think, as far as just an importance, uh, would be up there uh, as any position on the defense. Because then you'd get one safety and maybe one cornerback. And then Will Honus at linebacker with Reimer. Then maybe maybe um, Nick Heinrich can play OLB. Or in, I mean, But you need more than two. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to have a rotation of guys in there. And For sure. This will be interesting to, just to see. Uh, I think we can agree that all the offensive linemen are gone. Matt Farniak, Bo Wilson, Christian Gaylord. I just don't see any of those guys having a reason to return. Uh, Farniak's gotten plenty of opportunity to play, yeah. start. I don't know what more he could do for himself to improve his outlook. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's got a late-round grade from what I heard this week. So 
I think I don't know how much better that grade's going to get for him. Yeah, I mean, with his ability to play multiple positions, I mean, he's got center experience, guard, tackle. I mean, that's as valuable as anything. And if he doesn't get drafted, you know, he could be a you know a, a free agent type player that could stick on a roster at points. So, and with the young offensive line talent Nebraska has coming up the ranks, I think you want to give those guys opportunities. So it just seems kind of like a a, a natural point to part between Nebraska and Matt Farniak. You're listening here to the Husker online show as we discuss uh, seniors and, you know, Jojo Dolman, I think there was a point maybe where it was in the middle with him, but I would say now he's gone. Um, When you look at the way he played against Purdue, the way he held his own against Rondell Moore in space, the versatility he brings to the table. Then he got a draft game, all-star invite um, Mm -hmm. to the, the Shrine Bowl. And there's three major games, the senior bowl, which Brennan Hymas is now in, the Shrine, the East-West game, whatever they call it. And then there's always a third game. It's now the NFL PA. Yeah, the Collegiate Bowl. I mean, they've always had a – there's always a third game mm-hmm. that kind of rotates. There's different ones. And that, that the, the Collegiate Bowl was tweeting about Nedrick Mills earlier this week too, so keep an eye on that. So that tells you he's got somebody maybe pushing, wor- working yeah. on his behalf exactly uh, to go. But all that stuff will probably break over Twitter. I think each player has been given – not the green light, but – I think they've been told, look, if you have an announcement to make, you need to make it on your own. Like Nebraska's not going to make an announcement on your future. Yeah, that's how it should be at this point. It's a it's a personal decision for each one of those guys, and they should be able to make it on their own. Well, it will be interesting to see kind of where all this goes. Uh, scholarship numbers, you know, as it stands right now with players that, you know, because technically only Brendan Hymas has opted out. I mean, he's gone pro. Um, so, Right now, today, there's 97 guys signed a scholarship for next year, not counting the five more that Nebraska could have. Um, but you're you're probably looking at Nebraska being at least 95 to 100 scholarships next year. Yeah, and you know, one guy we pretty much know is coming back is Connor Culp. I don't he, he's a walk-on. Yeah. So, oh, perfect, even better. So. Well, and he'll he'll probably get one. I would assume so. The Big Ten kicker of the year should probably be on scholarship. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's a nice addition that we forgot to note. So, yeah, Connor Culp and Levi Falk, both walk-ons, probably will come back for another year. And I think Falk will matter. I mean, he, he's, he's just a he's a better version of Cade Warner in terms of blocking mm-hmm. and catching, and, and he was productive. I mean, he had five catches in a game this year. So, he I mean, he's not a – Number one, but he's, he's a, a hell, complimentary piece. He's a hell of a three or a four, and Absolutely. they need threes and fours to go with whoever that one and two is going to be next year. So, all right, when we come back, Robin, I want to shift over to basketball. Um, Nebraska basketball had a tough loss at Wisconsin, but still a lot of promising things came out of that. I want to get your thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, you know, to go on the road against the number nine team in the country and hold them to 40% shooting after what they did in their last game against Louisville was something that we can build on. There's no doubt about it. I told the guys, I think we're close. We're, we're going to start making shots. You know, we've got too good of shooters on our team to continue to shoot the percentage we are. You know, unfortunately, we had a really poor night offensively overall from the three, you know, missed eight free throws again. They go 15 for 15 from the line. So we're close. We're, we're, uh, we were right there, uh, you know, with all those things happening. So it's about keeping our guys together, continuing to play with great effort, and hopefully knock down some shots in the next one. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nebraska basketball loses 67 to 53 at Wisconsin. It was a game that Nebraska controlled Robin for most of the first half. They had the lead for nearly all of the first half. 
the problem is they could have jumped on Wisconsin maybe more than they did. And in the end, um, the Badgers finally warmed up and, and pulled away and had and had one of those big runs where Nebraska was scored. How many minutes were they scored those for? They went eight minutes without making a field goal. They had a couple free throws in there, but uh, during that eight-minute field goal drought, Wisconsin went on a 16-0 run and basically blew the game open. And, you know, you, you look at some of the key stats. Wisconsin goes 15 of 15 on free throws, Nebraska 9 of 17, and you know, there's just too many empty opportunities, especially early in that game. Nebraska had some one one for twos and situations, and all those little things matter for Nebraska when when they're trying to win a game on the road against a top ten opponent. Yeah, when you're shooting 33 percent from the field, 29 percent from three point range, you can't afford to go 50 percent at the line, especially when you get 17 attempts. Uh, so. Defensively, Nebraska played more than well enough to be in that game in the end, if not win it. But when you shoot at the level that they're shooting right now, you're not going to beat anyone, let alone the number nine team in the country that has five seniors in its starting lineup. Uh, and you know, when you give them an opportunity, they're eventually going to get going. So um, you know, until Nebraska figures out how to put the ball through the net on a consistent basis, um, they're going to have these same types of struggles. And that's the big issue right now is – they're getting the shots they want. Guys are, aren't making them. You know, if you look at just the, the percentage of the shots they're getting, it's really good. And they're getting the looks that Fred Hoiberg wants his teams to take, but uh, for the most part at least. But when you aren't making it, you really put yourself at a, at a real disadvantage, even as well as they played defensively. And Teddy Allen got into foul trouble in that game and you know only played 25 minutes. And, yeah. you know, he's a guy that you, Delano Banton played 35. Allen would probably be closer to 35 minutes, right, Robin? Yeah, I mean, he was, kind of was off all night, and then the fouls certainly added to that. Uh, you know, he still scored in double figures, but that was far from the, the output they needed. I mean, he's he's the one guy that when the offense is struggling, you can just give him the ball, say, go get a basket. I mean, he's, he's Teddy Buckets for a reason. He's got no fear to fire up shots. And just in terms of driving into the lane and creating shots – He's as good as they have. So not having him available for his normal output uh, was a big part in Nebraska's offensive struggles for sure. Well, Nebraska covered. They were a 16-point dog. Uh, the over-under was 141.5. Um, so the under and Nebraska covered in that game. Um, but, yeah, it was frustrating because it felt like they had Wisconsin on a night where maybe the upset could happen. Maybe you could see a Northwestern beating Michigan State. And, you know, you look at this league, Robin – You think you could predict some of these games pretty easily, but there have been a lot of Rutgers big wins and Michigan, you know, Northwestern winning at Michigan State. I mean, just games that you really couldn't expect. And especially when there's no fans now, the home court advantage on the road is really not what it normally would be when you go on the road. The analytics show that obviously with with no fans, that home court advantage is basically gone this year. It's just a matter of which team wants to play more on a given night. And uh, you know, Nebraska, they, they started the game playing like they wanted to win more than Wisconsin. Wisconsin kind of just seemed like they were going through the motions. And, you know, they were not only missing a bunch of shots, they started one of 17 from the field. They were badly missing, like three-pointers that were clanking off like the, the backside of the, the rim and uh, just did not look in sync whatsoever. Yet Nebraska could not capitalize on that opportunity. And right now they just don't have that, that margin for error. Uh, against elite level competition to go that long with that little uh, production from your offense. And I guess that's the one maybe silver lining is that, you know, 
eventually the tide could turn and Nebraska starts making those shots. And, um, you know, Lat Mayen starts making three-pointers. I think he's one of 14 uh, from three-point range over his last four oh, games. Oh, six against Wisconsin. Yeah. And so, uh, and then, you know, maybe Teddy Allen, who's like shooting like 60% from the line. He shot 90% a year ago. Maybe he starts making his free throws. Uh, and, you know, it, it kind of just goes across the board where guys that are not – that you'd expected to perform at a certain level have been underperforming for the most part. And if that continues into big 10 play, it's going to be a long year, but hopefully the law of averages, you know, figure they even out for Nebraska and those shots start to fall. Well, now Nebraska turns around for a Christmas day basketball. And by the way, what, what is the take? I mean, you talk to a lot of guys kind of behind the scenes are, are, are the kids excited to play on Christmas yes. day. Um, Cause it, you know, they, they, a lot of guys grow up watching NBA on Christmas day and then, that's that's a basketball holiday, so yes, it's a big deal to be on that window. Even if you are going up against the NBA, and uh, I think that the, the players from top to bottom love the opportunity because you're right, basketball uh, that that Christmas Day NBA slate is kind of like the unofficial start, the real start of the season, and that's the major basketball window for the NBA. And so to be able to have that that same opportunity, you know. I don't think guys are all that worried about not being able to go home because they wouldn't se- have been able to their go season home. always overlaps with with Christmas. And yeah, the fact that there was no opportunity to travel back, you know, to be able to have that 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 showcase, I think, is a big deal for them, especially with with guys that grew up watching those Christmas NBA games. Did you guys ask Fred Hoiberg about that? Like playing? I guess you probably haven't had a chance to preview the Christmas game yet with him, but. Did, did he play in some NBA Christmas yeah, Day games yeah. over his career? He's the same way. I mean, he grew up as a player loving playing on Christmas. And I think that that's just kind of the mentality most basketball players have is, uh, you know, that that's, like I said, that, that that's a, a real neat opportunity, even if it is, you know, taken away from families at all, whatever it is, uh, they still get a chance to, you know, play in a, a pretty prime window where, you know, they're going to have a lot of eyeballs. And that's, that's, it's a platform that you don't normally get. Well, and using a football analogy, I mean, we're we're used to for our entire lives having to have a rushed Thanksgiving every exactly. year to go play a Black Friday Same game. Same deal. And Christmas think, in the NBA is like Thanksgiving games in the NFL, or or in Thanksgiving and Black Friday for yeah, for yeah. Nebraska. So, and I'll be honest, like not going to bowl games. I mean, I, sure, it was always a hassle to kind of scramble around, but it was always fun. Like. I mean, I, I, some of my favorite memories of doing this job were traveling and going out to some of these games over the holidays, and mm-hmm. sometimes my wife has been able to go. And I mean, you, you miss some of that element. And I'm, you think this is a one deal thing where the Big Ten will only do yeah, it one year? I think so because a lot of it has to do with how the academic calendars were set up, the you bubble, know, then the finals and stuff like that. Usually, you don't want to play, and so. Normally, you want to give guys an opportunity to go home and see their families. Like a little seven-day break. Yeah, in a non-pandemic year. I mean, the, the, the gap in the, the semesters is just kind of a natural break. And then with conference play kicking in, you know, January, it it's kind of just makes a lot of sense. So if they return to the normal calendar, the idea of Christmas games, let alone like marquee conference Christmas games, is probably going to be a thing of the past. Yeah, Jan- uh, February, you know, it gets pretty. I'm looking at the schedule. There's th- Nebraska will play three games in one week over February. Three conference games: Penn State, Maryland, Purdue, um, and then they'll have a three-game week in January. Robin, Indiana, Illinois at Maryland. Mm. Yeah, welcome to the grind, and especially with not having those. You know, normally you get at least two conference games in early December, and then you get almost a month off before you kick into the rest of the 18 games. Now they're playing 20 straight with no break, and so that's just kind of the the, the nature of the beast in 2020 Big Ten basketball. Yeah, it looks like Michigan. Obviously, Christmas Day is a Friday game against Michigan. Um, I always like that Friday, January, February window. They don't play any Fridays this year, but 
Um, it's a mixture. There's three Sunday games for Nebraska in February, just one Saturday. Um, and then in January, Nebraska has two Sunday games and three Saturday games. Big Ten likes those Sunday games. Yeah, it's kind of the, the window they like. And, you know, I guess the fact that there aren't, are going to be no fans, it doesn't matter that much and maybe actually works out better because it's a, a better TV window as opposed to a Friday night or Saturday night. So who knows? Maybe this is the year where Sunday games are actually better than weekend games. Yeah, we uh, we tend to get all the Sunday after church games in Lincoln. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago it was better. They, they played like four Saturdays, I think, in the league. But it'll be interesting. And Creighton's going to allow fans, 1,700 fans in, in Omaha at the CHI. No word on the Big Ten. I mean, I, I'd be shocked, right, if, if the Big Ten did like a 10% capacity or something like that. Yeah, and it would probably be something where like things would dramatically shift on the, the national scale with the COVID stuff. Uh, but right now, I mean, they've been so precautious about this, and uh, I think they actually feel <laughs> a lot better now that they've turned the page to league-only play. You don't have to worry about the all the factors with different conferences and non-conference games. Uh, you Now you're in your most controlled setting that you can possibly be with guys, every team play, following the same protocols, and they're probably going to stick to that as much as possible. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I didn't notice him. That probably means he played pretty well. I think he had uh, one penalty that didn't matter because we threw an interception on the play. But if we ran for 365 yards and I didn't notice uh, a freshman left tackle, that probably means he played pretty well. So we'll watch the tape and figure it out. But he's got a lot of good football ahead of him. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. That was head coach Scott Frost following the win for Nebraska over Rutgers and one of the real bright spots that came out of that was the play of freshman offensive tackle Turner Corcoran. He got the start in that game because Brandon Hymas opted out to begin his NFL draft prep. Um, and, and that was a real positive. And you, you think about a bowl game in one more game, that might have been an opportunity for Corcoran to go another start. Maybe a bowl game would have been an opportunity for Logan Smothers to get a start because Adrian Martinez would have been pretty banged up uh, to, to have to play one more game. So, we discussed that earlier. I uh, wanted to get into the mailbag here, though, first, Robin. And, um, you know, the first question was about transfers. And, you know, what do you think the biggest areas of need are? And more than likely, Nebraska's going to have two to three portal spots. And I, I know I know, running back – or, I'm sorry, quarterback is always a hot topic. I, I just don't think that's going to be something Nebraska's going to pursue as far as taking a transfer portal quarterback right now. Um, when I look at transfers, though – I think pass rushers kind of where I go to first. I think they need to find any kind of pass rushers they can get their hands on. That's a priority. I think a secondary body right now would be a priority, um, and and maybe a running back if Mills goes pro. Yeah, I think that's the big uh, kind of first part of the question that needs to be answered is who's coming back if you know they lose both Mark Eldis Muke and uh, Deontay Williams and uh, DiCaprio Boodle. You know, secondary is clearly going to be a position of need just to provide some some veteran. Uh, experience in the back end there. So uh, that's right up the top. And then if Diedrich Mills le- leaves, you know, we talked about just the, the drop-off between him and the rest of that group, uh, maybe bringing in someone that is a little bit more of a, uh, a proven piece would, would be kind of a smart move going forward. Uh, and I'm, I'm with you at quarterback. I just don't see that kind of being a direction Nebraska goes. I know some people say, you know, <laughs> what, why do you think that what you've had over the past couple of years is going to work? But I think they're just in a situation now where they've got a lot of young players in that QB room that bringing in a grad transfer probably isn't the right way to go. But 
I think secondary, pass rusher, running back, I agree with you. I think those are the top three positions of need for the transfer market. And if anything, this new rule that allows everybody a free year of eligibility and seniors the chance to come back, it might actually help just stabilize depth on Nebraska's roster in some key spots just because of the logjam it's going to create, and they need that. Uh, so uh, next question, Lubick versus Walters. What is your thought, and does Austin get enough respect input in the game planning? And I guess on, on that first part, it, it's hard to know that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not like we're privy to that kind of discussion um, as far as what Greg Austin got in, in terms of you know deciding what they ran. But I know everything Rob and I heard on Lubick was there, there's just a higher level of organization with him and management of the offense. I think him and Frost probably clicked a little bit better uh, at times, but – is the offense where it needs to be? No. I think there's still a lot of questions with this unit. Yeah, and for me, you know, the coordinator is kind of a secondary part of the conversation. I mean, this is still Scott Frost's offense, and he's still very much hands-on as much as a head coach could be in the operations of the offense. So, you know, having someone that's maybe uh, on the same page is an upgrade with Matt Lubick, but, yeah, we, we really didn't see much of a, an impact of that with how they played this year. How many coaching changes do we see? Another question, and I, I know that's a popular topic this time of year always. And what I'll say is this, and, and you have the stat, Robin, there's been a coaching change at Nebraska every year since? 2012. So think about that. And when these coaches are making upwards of 500000 or more apiece as position coaches – there's just more money. The stakes are higher. You're going to see a change. If a unit underperforms at that price tag, typically the coach could be the guy that you know gets moved out. So I, I think that's something Scott Frost is looking at. Uh, I don't know if anything is officially done done and how that all plays out. But generally, um, if a move happens, I think a guy tries to kind of land somewhere on their own and move on. Um, we haven't really seen Nebraska, other than Bruce Reed, where they've just – outright publicly fired a guy on an email and you know Bruce Reed was like fired the day after the Iowa I was I remember I was Christmas shopping um in Omaha with my wife because she gets real fired up to get Christmas shopping done as early as possible and so it's Saturday after Black Friday and we're sitting in a mall in Omaha and we got the Bruce Reed I mean they didn't even waste any time on him but typically you don't see you know, Mark Banker was obviously pushed out in a really fast way too, but you don't see it very often, do you? No, and a lot of times that's just kind of out of respect where you know you want a guy to be able to land on his feet right away to where it looks like it's kind of a natural break as opposed to – A public execution. Yeah, exactly. In the SEC, there's a lot of public executions. No doubt so, I about mean, it. Bo Pelini, what about that? How about Bo, our friend Bill Bush, you know, guy I've known many, many years. Um, they cleared out that whole staff though, like – the old, the older coaches on that LSU staff quote retired, and yeah, then yeah. Bush and Pelini were cleared out of there. And yeah, with Bo, I mean, it was a deal where the one thing you would always say is that you know when he has NFL level talent to work with, his defense is really, really good. Well, he had NFL work talent to work with, and LSU was was terrible. Well, they had like how many draft picks did they have last year, and then they had several. They had two or three guys opt out too that yeah. were so they were not the same team they were a year ago. But still, I mean, they were like record-setting bad for what they were giving up, and so no, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it was like it looked like a Big Twelve they beat defense. Flo at times. How about they beat Florida and Old Miss though to Makes close no the sense. year out? I mean, they Makes beat no sense. they beat a New Year's Six Bowl team, and then Old Miss got the uh, Outback Bowl. I mean, so like th those are quality wins to close the year out, but they were shootouts, and or I think Orgeron, you know, could be in trouble. I mean, if 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 he has an, I mean, think about saying that if he has another bad year though. 
let's say he goes like six and six, seven and five. Is that going to be enough for him next year? Who knows? It's the SEC. I mean, Auburn just fired a national championship head coach as well. So, uh, you know, the crazier things have happened, but it's hard to believe that, you know, they could have the season they did a year ago. And now you're talking about a coach being on the hot seat, but such is the nature now, of the beast. Malzahn wasn't the, he was the coordinator on the national championship team. It was Gene Chizik, yeah, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. But Malzahn heavily involved with Cam Newton and, yeah. and that. I mean, he, he got a lot of credit for it with how good that offense was. No doubt. I mean, he was a great coach and, um, I'll be curious where he lands because I, I do think he's a good coach. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's been successful everywhere he goes, so he'll he'll land on his feet, I'm sure. And then that Brian Harson hire. Um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. It, it kind of has a Mike Riley feel. It does. Um, but Har- Harson's won at a high level. That guy's going to be a fish out of water out there. <laughs> he, he coached – he was the head coach of Arkansas State for a year, but still um, who he builds around him on that staff and – I mean, it's almost like you take that job knowing you're going to get fired and get paid. Like, he, it's like, all right, I've done my time making one or two million in the group of five, which is the most I can make. I, I need my thirty million dollar guarantee. That buyout is going to be real interesting because I'll bet <laughs> you it's going to be hefty. Well, and we might see buyouts look different, Robin. Uh, Should I mean that? That's one of the flaws of the college game. These athletic directors write these massive buyouts uh, for uh, for some of these contracts, and it just has turned into lottery tickets. I mean, for, especially for guys that didn't deserve that much money. And final question here, big picture thought on the college football playoff this year and just in general, the, the, the system, I mean, where we've seen essentially Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama almost an automatic invite to this every year, and then that four spot, kind of a rotating spot between Georgia, Notre Dame, and other programs like that every single year where we've seen kind of a, a rotating – a uh, group of teams kind of fill out this group. Um, I think they got the four teams right. Um, I, I would have taken Notre Dame, Robin, over A&M right now. Um, I don't think Cincinnati would win either against either of those two teams. Yeah, it's a, kind of the similar argument where, you know, Notre Dame, as bad as they, you know, got beaten in that, that Clemson game, you know, they were still season long one of the best teams in the country all year long. And, and they, they beat Clemson. Yeah, and they beat they, – they, they have the signature win. So – they did, for the most part, everything that they were supposed to do, and the fact that it's the Notre Dame brand is kind of a, a no-brainer, I mean, in, in all counts. But um, I'm really looking forward to that Ohio State-Clemson game, especially with the Davos uh, top 25 Put up 11th? Yeah, that's a, that's a shot fired right there, and I guarantee you that uh, was made very well known to Ohio State's locker room when that came out. And then the fact that Clemson is really, I mean, there's three years they've ended Ohio State season in the playoffs now, so uh, there's, I'm sure, a lot of uh, storylines that are going to be uh, hitched to that one that's going to make that really good television. Well, in general, I think 2020 now when you look big picture, the bowl system was already kind of on the way out, but I think 2020 has really oh, <laughs> pushed yeah. the bowl system out more than people. I mean, you've got players opting out of the Cotton Bowl and, yeah. you know, the Orange Bowl. I mean, good bowl games, not just playoff. People play in the playoffs, but yeah, and that was already happening uh, even before the pandemic. But then when you add in all that stuff, guys are just ready to be done. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of guys that voted no for Nebraska. They were just tired of it. You know, they're tired of playing for free. Want to get going towards the NFL career and uh, bowl game or not. You know, the, the the time had come for them. But they need to probably get this thing to eight. The problem is the bowl games have s- such a grip on the college game as far as just their influence, you know, with these games and how it matters and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, I think it's, I think we all agree. It's as simple as put your five power five champions in there, your best group of five, and then two wild cards. And the committee decides two wild cards. I mean, 
I think we, I mean, and sure, there, there's going to be debate for those two wild cards, but I, I think that would be a system that would engage the country more if you included the Pac-12 in the Big 12, in the Big 10 every year where it wasn't always Clemson and Alabama and whoever the other two teams are going to be that get beat. Yeah, I mean, just giving a few other teams a chance, like giving the Cincinnati's or the Central Floridas or, you know, one of those teams that, uh, you know, in theory did everything they were supposed to do, and at least they'll have an opportunity. I think that's the least you could do. And is it going to change much from, you know, the elite, the Clemsons, Alabamas, Ohio States? Probably not. But at least you're allowing the opportunity to at least make more of an interesting offseason where teams that deserve the right to at least have a shot get that shot. All right, well, Robin, I uh, hope you have a wonderful holiday weekend with your family. I know Santa is busy trying to get things squared away at the Washout residence. Yes, he is. So I'll do Christmas morning with family, then over to PBA and watch some Nebraska-Michigan <laughs> basketball. All right, well, when we come back, Nate Klaus will join us to talk some recruiting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan. Nate Klaus now talking recruiting as uh, Nebraska is still sitting firm um, with five spots left to fill um, here from now until February as nobody signed after Wednesday. They had the opportunity to keep signing guys. And, Nate, one of those guys that maybe we thought could sign by Friday last week was Omaha Westside's Avante Dickerson. He now will have to wait all the way until February. I know there are reports out there that – he once again is refirmed up with Minnesota, uh, but man, there's a lot of time now from uh, here until February for him to uh, kind of make up his mind. There is an awful lot of time. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a Minnesota fan, you're I think you're pretty nervous, even though he says that that he's he's um, still solid with Minnesota and, and that he's got a great connection with the staff and so on and so forth. I, I think you still got to be nervous because. Um, you know, is this a kid that had been committed to to the Gophers for nine months, and then all of a sudden, the week of the early signing period, he decided that he was going to delay, um, you know, signing his letter of intent until February. So, um, <clears throat> I think that bodes well for Nebraska. You know, obviously, as we all know, anything can and will happen, and and it's not a given that he is going to flip or anything, but. Uh, if he did, uh, all signs would point to him staying home and, and going to Lincoln with with some of his best friends like Kobe Bretts and and AJ Rollins and um, you know some of those guys. So um, and for Nebraska, you know if if they're able to do that, I mean that would be that'd be a big that'd be a big deal uh, keeping a four star kid at home and especially at a position of need like cornerback. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk Avante Dickerson and what his next move might be. And you get the sense, Nate, that even a guy like Thomas Fedoni, they're, they're working on Dickerson, trying to hit him up and, and, and talk to him here over, over these uh, final weeks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that all of Nebraska's commits, or at least the regional guys, you know, in-state guys and guys like Thomas Fedoni and, and those, those guys, uh, you know, they're, I think they're all in, in Avante's year right now. Uh, and especially, the two guys I mentioned, you know, that the he's really, really close with, uh, Kobe Bretts and, and A.J. Rollins. I mean, he's very, very good friends. Obviously, he's teammates with Bretts, but he's very good friends with, with both of those guys. And, you know, I think they, they're making their, their last-ditch efforts to, to do what they can to, to sway him um, to the scarlet and cream. And, um, you know, and one thing I think, 
you know, you should mention though is is that most of the time these guys are not very pushy. I mean, they'll they'll stay in a in a kid's ear. Uh, they'll you know they'll stay in Avante's ear, but they won't be overly pushy. I think I think some fans sometimes have a misconception that that these guys can can kind of will it to happen. I mean, um, you know, all these guys have gone through the process. They still respect the the decision making process, but like I said, uh, they're definitely in his ear. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting. And, Nate, normally it would be the dead period in, in every year at this point, and then coaches would go out on the road um, early on in January right away. What do you get the sense? I mean, what are coaching staffs going to do in January? I mean, this is such a foreign deal. Um, I, I think the fact that the season went so late into December, it made December not as weird because you were playing every week in December. But January is going to be just – odd without action on the road and, and and what we're used to normally seeing yeah it's going to be really bizarre i mean usually you um <clears throat> especially with where nebraska is at right now with their recruiting class and just like they were last year they were really able to get a leg up on on that next year's class and, and getting out and kind of pounding the pavement and, and hitting a bunch of schools and um, you know, getting an eye on a lot of these underclassmen and, and extending offers and, and, you know, building those types of relationships. Well, that's not going to happen now. And so uh, I think there's going to be plenty of evaluating taking place, but it's going to be <clears throat> purely based off film. You know, there might be, you know, there might be some phone calls and, and maybe, you know, some, some FaceTiming going on while, while it's weights class or, 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 you know, basketball practice or something like that. I don't know, but um, <clears throat> it's going to be really strange. And, and you know, I think you know, some of the coaches will probably embrace it, that they're not going to have to be out on the road and grinding uh, for an entire month. Um, but, uh, but I think for the most part, you know, these, these guys are just going to have to continue to, to kind of adjust on the fly and, and, um, you know, we'll probably see a lot of what we saw, you know, back in uh, back last spring during what should have been the spring evaluation period, and that was a lot of virtual visits and FaceTiming with the entire staff and kind of that that introduction, you know, the introductory phase of uh, the, the the relationship building kind of take place during the month of January. Yeah, it was almost like last year, January was the old-fashioned May where head coaches used to be able to go out in May. And then May was just kind of like another bonus, and and w- they lost May, so January was huge last year. Well, we don't even know if they're going to get May. We know they're not going to get January um, next year. And I just think about a year ago, Nate. I, I'm trying to remember, but I don't think Nebraska really made an in-home visit the entire January. Everything was unofficial, underclassmen recruiting, coaches going to basketball. I mean, Thomas Fedoni had like 20 teams come visit him in January yeah. at, at Lewis Central, and it's just going to be so different um for for a lot of things that we saw a year ago where we talked about a year ago how like this is like the biggest best underclassmen recruiting we've seen nebraska do in january because they were so far ahead and it's almost like i don't want to say they're gonna get behind but they're gonna lose a lot of ground now just by not having january yeah i mean this is under normal circumstances this would have been i think a, a month where nebraska could have continue to to take a step forward and, and get farther ahead and like you said I, I i won't say that they're going to fall behind and everyone's dealing with the same thing which kind of makes it a more of an even playing field but but it does hurt that that you can't continue to to kind of um get further ahead a little bit and you know i think the one good thing 
about it is that um, just and just like last year, I mean, there's going to be a lot of talent coming up in state and in in the border states. You know, Iowa, Kansas. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of um, you know offer guys, and so I, I think that um, you know for however long this dead period continues to to go on. Uh, I think that the one good part of it is that you can kind of fall back on knowing that, hey, we got a lot of talent that are that are you know these kids are already familiar with us. Um, they're they're within driving distance. When whenever things do open back up, they should be able to get a lot of these guys on campus. Yeah, they had. I'm looking back to last year, Nate. There was just one January official visitor that came to campus. That was Chris Drain, the wide receiver who ended up going to Missouri. Other than that, you know, January was literally coaches on the road and and we ran in I mean we would go on the road every Friday in January last year to get a leg up on the in-state tour and I think we saw Nebraska and the in-state schools every Friday we were out on the road almost yeah we would we, we'd run into to Bear Root or Coach um, Frost yeah I mean yeah Frost I mean we yeah we, we ran into we ran into a lot of the staff uh as they were making the the in-state rounds on Fridays when they'd get back into town so um yeah it's it's gonna be bizarre but I mean, I don't know. This, this, everything about this past year has pretty much been bizarre. So it's just kind of keep keep on and keeping on, I guess. And when is the dead period? Like, how is it? What is the, where does it end right now? What is the last day of the current dead period? Is NCAA run it through February? Um, for well, for the the COVID induced yeah. dead period, yeah, it's gone. It's gone all the way through uh, February. So. Um, yeah, there's, there are, I know a lot of kids in, in the fall were kind of hoping that, um, cause that the last point it was, it was through December and a lot of kids were hoping that, um, you know, things would be open back up for January and there might be a glimmer of hope for official visits, but, uh, but yeah, the, the latest dead period has been extended through, through February. So, uh, so we know at least, you know, there's at least two and a half, two, two and a half more months of, of this dead period that are going to be, um, you know, that we're going to be under. Well, it will be interesting to see how all this turns. Uh, Nate, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and, and thank you for all the contributions you and the entire recruiting team have made here in, in what has been obviously one of the odder years we've had to cover recruiting in all of our time. Yeah, you as well. Merry Christmas. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next week as uh, we'll um, – talk more basketball and, and maybe have some more answers on Nebraska's roster and, and where some of the questions are with some of these guys that are leaving or staying. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.